The COVID-19 pandemic has led to a spike in the adoption of telemedicine in the United States as hospitals and physician practices try to protect both patients and clinicians from exposure to the virus. But the transition hasn't been easy for everyone. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Elizabeth Rourke, an internal medicine physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Dr. Rourke has written a graphic perspective article about practicing telemedicine during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Rourke, had you ever practiced telemedicine before the pandemic? No, I had not. I think like most people, I was aware of telemedicine, but I wasn't particularly interested in making it a part of my practice. So tell us about your transition to seeing patients over the internet. How quickly did your practice move online and what kind of training did you have? We moved online very abruptly. Our office was open until March 13th of 2020, and then we closed at the end of that day. And Starting that next Monday on March 16th, we began trying to manage our patients remotely. And initially, we had the option of using telephone calls or video conferencing, but there wasn't really any training whatsoever. It was something that we did because we had to. So aside from possibly that lack of training, what were the biggest challenges associated with the transition for you and your colleagues? Well... As you said, there was sort of the unfamiliarity of working in this way. I think initially the phone seemed like the more straightforward thing to do. So we were just trying to stay in touch with people by phone and make sure that people were doing okay. And then over time, I think we transitioned more into a video conference model. We had a little more support. I mean, I think it was challenging for our employers as well because there were a lot of systems that needed to be put in place in order to make it possible for us to do this very high volume of video conference calls. And so that process took a little bit of time too. But it was hard to figure out what was appropriate for this kind of care. Initially, because our office was closed, we were trying to manage everything, basically anything that people had concerns about, we tried to address. And it takes time to figure out whether something can be appropriately addressed on a remote basis or whether we needed to try to find a way for patients to have access to some kind of in-person care. So that, I think, certainly was a big issue that needed to be dealt with. What about the response from patients? Have they generally appreciated being able to see you without coming into the office, or have they had technical issues, other challenges that have caused them problems? There's been a wide range of responses. I think many patients have been very grateful for the ability to be in touch with their doctor during this time at a time when no one wanted to leave their house. And many patients have done a great job of managing the technical issues and dealing with the computer program and the timing and the different steps that need to be taken in order to sign up and things like that. I think for other patients, it's been much harder. And I've tried to sort of be flexible for patients who just don't want to deal with a computer and don't want to deal with video conferencing. I think having the opportunity of talking to them on the phone and keeping it simple has been really important. So in fact, you haven't run into the problem of patients who can't connect because even those who don't have an internet connection or an appropriate device can still use the phone. Is that what you're seeing? So, so far that has been true. Initially, there were changes in the regulations around payment for services that enabled us to work just with the phone. And I know that the question of whether or not that's going to continue to be true has not been fully resolved, but we did have the option, if necessary, of talking to people on the phone. And that's been really helpful for patients, particularly patients who are older, who sometimes I think feel kind of intimidated by having to use a computer or deal with different programs and applications and things like that. 
So it's been eight, nine months since the pandemic reached the United States. How today is your office handling the provision of primary care? What have you learned? Well, it's been really interesting. I mean, we have had the opportunity to add back some in-person care, and that has been really helpful. So what we're doing now, I think, is more of a hybrid model where we're seeing patients in person, but then we're also um, doing some remote visits as well. And it's helped us, I think, to understand a little bit better what works well from a remote standpoint and what really is best dealt with on an in-person basis. So I think things that involve a lot of counseling, things that involve coaching, follow-up of chronic conditions like hypertension or diabetes, these are things that have turned out to work really well from a telemedicine standpoint. So finally, what role do you think telemedicine is going to play in primary care in the long run once COVID-19 is no longer a determining factor in how you can deliver care? You talked about the potential payment issue. How do you see all of that playing out in the long term? That's a great question. I think it's an open question at this point in time. I mean, we've been doing telemedicine by necessity during this time, which is a little bit different from telemedicine by choice. And I'm really hoping that we can take the lessons we've learned and the information we've gained from this whole experience and use it to design a model of care where we incorporate telemedicine as a complement to in-person medicine to sort of enhance the care that we're able to provide. The details of how that's going to work, how we're going to be able to sort of combine these two options, I think remain very unclear at this time. And I think probably we'll have to try a bunch of different models, right? And, you know, it may be that that different combinations of those things work better for different people and in different settings. Thank you, Dr. Rourke.